You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, For those of you that don't know me, maybe, my name is Riley, and I'm the youth pastor here at LifePoint, which is an awesome uh, honor and responsibility. We got some awesome youth serving in the back right now, Zach and Mira, who are incredible, so let's hear it up for them. Um, Youth are awesome, and and it is an honor for me to get to, to serve with them. I get to bring the word for you guys this morning because um, instead of going to the uh, Caribbean like Tony, I decided I'd rather stay here and have a nice March snow with all of you guys. So um, Tony's going to, I'm going to, we're going to jump into the word this morning with the idea of um, looking at the gospel kind of in its simplest terms. I tried to remind myself of this acronym, uh, KISS, all the time. Keep it simple, stud. (laughs) And that is the goal this morning. Because I know from personal experience, we can come to church week after week, year after year, and we can have a good time, and we can leave without grasping the beauty of what God has actually done for us. And when we, we get a glimpse of what he's done for us, that helps drive us and launch us into the things that he's calling us to do. So I want us to get a a glimpse of the beauty of what God has actually done for us this morning. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a story uh, that goes along these lines, and he says this. Um, You know, dear friends, how it is with some people, as it was with one friend to whom I spoke last Tuesday, a couple hundred years ago. God had blessed the word to his soul, and he was converted, but he had been hearing me some time before, and I said to him, How was it, do you think, that during those other years that you came here, you did not find the Savior? And he said, oh, sir, I'm afraid it was because I came to hear you, and when I had been here and I heard you, I was quite satisfied. But when God taught me to come here to look for Christ and to seek eternal life, then I obtained the blessing. So if you're here this morning and you've come to church year after year, or maybe this is your first time at church, please ask yourself this question. Am I here just to hear a man talk, or did I come to encounter the God that offers salvation for my soul? And if you're already here and you've been awakened to the beauty of the gospel, I want to challenge us today to ask if we're allowing that to drive us into sharing that good news with other people, or if we've grown content in just um, knowing that for ourselves, keeping it to ourselves and not allowing it to drive us into action. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter one with the idea of keeping things simple. So 1 Timothy chapter one, verse one says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. So a couple things to know right off the bat. Uh, 
First Timothy is not written by a guy named Timothy, but is written by the Apostle Paul, who was tasked with bringing and establishing the church to areas that didn't have the gospel before. Um, and he's writing to Timothy, who he calls his spiritual son, not his biological son, but his spiritual son, some, a younger man that he poured his life into, that he discipled, that he taught in the ways of the Lord. And he um, has a lot of authority to speak into Timothy's life. He had a lot of authority to speak into the early church's life. And Paul has a lot of authority to instruct us today still. So there's a lot that we can glean from these next several verses. And then finally, uh, he prays that Timothy would receive um, mercy and grace and peace because those things only come from God. So if you're seeking grace and mercy and peace, I pray that you'd find it in God this morning. And on the note of, of spiritual sonship and spiritual uh, fathers and mothers, um, it's an awesome thing. It's important that we have people in our lives, like Paul was to Timothy, that can walk through life with us, that have a few more gray hairs than we do, that can lead us, that have been faithful to Jesus longer than us, that can come alongside of us and encourage us, can come alongside of us and correct us, uh, whatever that looks like. So if you're, you don't have somebody in your life like that, I would encourage you to ask somebody to coffee or to lunch that would kind of fit in that, that role. Don't let it just come to you. Have somebody walk up to you and be, can I be your spiritual father? Because <laughs> um, that would be weird and you would probably say no. But if you're, you're, you know that you're lacking that in your lives, be intentional, look out for it. Ask somebody to coffee, allow yourselves to start to know each other and live life together. And if you're in the older end and you don't have somebody you're pouring into, do the same thing, ask them to coffee. Don't be weird, but ask them to coffee, get to know them. And then we can start um, pouring our lives into each other because that is a blessing for the church. Anyway, verse three. When I left Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Do not let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which do not help people live a life of faith in God. So Paul, as an apostle, he's going around and he's planting churches and he brought Timothy along with him to uh, this uh, to Ephesus, and they planted a church, and, Timoth uh, and Paul is going on to the next place, and he instructs Timothy to stay behind and to stop people from uh, incorporating false doctrine into the church, to, to stop people from uh, leading people into meaningless discussions or speculations, because Paul loves God deeply, and he cares about his truth, and he cares about each of those people that gave their hearts to God. He wants to protect them and he wants to protect the truth of the gospel. He doesn't want bad doctrine to mix with the truth of the gospel because truth is only truth if it is true, and he wants to protect the truth of the gospel. In John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul knows that the truth is only revealed through Jesus, and that's the truth that sets people free. 
not meaningless speculations or debates on things that don't matter, not um, indulging in myths of the current culture that have nothing to do with God, not going down uh, useless pedigrees of, of lineage trying to make yourself seem more spiritual, but focusing on the things of, that are true because those are the things that will help you live a life of faith in God. Verse 5 in First Timothy says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. I hope you guys don't know people like that, that, that speak very confidently, even though it's clear that they don't know what they're talking about. I pray that I am not one of those people. But Paul points clearly, he paints the picture of what his goal is in his teaching very, very clearly. And that is that people would be filled with love as a result of uh, pure hearts towards God, a clear conscience with God, and a genuine faith in God. And that's those basic things that we need to be focusing our attention towards. But just like today's people, the people in Paul's time were missing the point. They were pushing those basic things aside and they were trying to get to the more um, advanced things or the more interesting things or whatever it might be. They were trying to move past the basics of the faith. And again, how easily can that happen to us today? Paul says that they turned away from having a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith to spend time in meaningless discussions. And it's heartbreaking how often we can see people that claim to know the complexities, the complexities of God and the ways of salvation, but they completely miss the point of the gospel. They want to be known for the revelations of God, but they don't know the basics. And in Paul's day, there were people teaching the Old Testament that didn't know that Jesus is the one that came to save. They didn't know the basics of the gospel. And I know it is easy for me to move away from the basics and try to make my relationship with God more complex than it needs to be. And when I do that, what happens is that I dry up my heart becomes hard towards people, and um, I become cynical. And each time that that happens, what gets me out of those ruts, what gets me out of those funks is going back to the basics and keeping things simple. By walking with God in relationship each and every day, allowing the love of God to fill me up based out of that relationship and allowing that to drive me and my, my witness to others around me in the way that I live my life. So if you're here and you're in a similar place or you experience that, simple, that similar uh, feelings, I pray that you'd go back to keeping it simple with God. Go back to the basics. Don't waste your time in meaningless discussions or, or missing the point of what the gospel is proclaiming, but go back to the basics of relationship with God, studying God's word and spending time with him.
All right, verse 8. That says, We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended to be uh, for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral who, or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. So to clarify, the law is good, and the law is good because it comes from God, and the law points us to um, the way that God intended things to be and the way that he intends us to live. The law is good, and it is good when we use it correctly, and it is a burden when we use the law incorrectly. And I know when I was growing up, I definitely used the law incorrectly, and it was a burden on my life. You know, somehow through pride, I had convinced myself that I was just in my relationship with God out of my own good standing, that I wasn't like the people that uh, intentionally broke God's rules. I wasn't like those other people that didn't live lives like mine, that I was on God's good side, and that God hated basically everybody else in the world that broke his rules. And that only takes you so far before you realize that you do not live up to God's standard either. You don't live up to the rule of the law as well. And for me, that led to a place of being, um, uh, thinking that I needed to fake being righteous before God still, pretending like I was perfect, pretending like I was uh, all those things, even though I was deeply ensnared in sin. You know, have you ever been there in that, that image-based Christianity? Like, what a terrible place that is. That's not the gospel. That's not anything that God wants for your life. The beauty of God's plan was that he wanted to use the law to show us that we were not perfect, that we could hold it up in front of us and see that we are in need of a savior and a redeemer, that we couldn't do it on our own. And from that place of knowing that we are not perfect, God can move in our lives. God wasn't very beautiful to me when I was self-righteous. When I thought the law was to destroy all of those dirty, rotten sinners in the world. Like, what is beautiful about that? When I realized that I was no different than the other broken people in the world, that is when the gospel became beautiful to me. And then Paul says in Galatians 3, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. So when the law is used correctly, 
It shows us that we are sinners in need of being saved. But it doesn't save us and it cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. So believe it or not, before Paul was used by God, he did not live a perfect life. He was a sinner like I I am and like you are. He persecuted the church. He killed believers. He tried to destroy what God was building. But then Paul's eyes were open that he was living a life opposed to God. And Paul was clearly opposing God. He was trying to destroy um, Christ's bride. He was trying to destroy Christ's church. But let's be clear, all sin is in opposition to God. It puts us in opposition of God, whether it's uh, intentionally seeking to destroy a church or it's anything else. All sin puts us in opposition of God. And that is why when Paul recognized that he was in error, he turned from his ways and he started following Jesus' ways instead. We need to do the same thing. We need to leave the sins behind us and start following Jesus' ways because those things cannot be compatible. We cannot be in opposition to God while following God. And we need to start praising God for his mercy and his grace that we are now filled with the faith and love of Christ Jesus. We are able to go from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. In verse 15, Paul goes on and he says this. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. So Paul clarifies that this is a trustworthy statement. So if scripture alone wasn't enough for you to trust the statement, Paul is saying that this is trustworthy and we should believe it, that Jesus came to save sinners. That Jesus came to save sinners. That was the reason why he came. He didn't come to condemn sinners at this time, but to provide a way for sinners to be saved. And this is true and we should accept it. He didn't come to save the righteous folks from the evil others of this world. 
He came to save every single one of us because we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So while Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus died for him. And while I was uh, sinning against God, Jesus died for me. And while you were sinners, God died for you. We just need to acknowledge that we are someone that needs to be saved. The great apostle Paul acknowledges that he was the worst sinner of them all. And do we think that that's just a definitive statement that he is so far worse than all of us? No, the reality is that Paul just knew the severity of his sin. He knew that there was no justifying it, there was no uh, cleaning it up. He knew that sinning against God was a severe thing. But Paul also declares that the grace of God was more than sufficient to save him. He has both, he knows both, how far he's come and how far Christ has brought him and redeemed him. And if we want to see the beauty of the gospel, we need to come, with come to terms with the fact that we have sinned against God, that we are in need of a savior and that Jesus is the only one that can save us and that when we believe in him, we will be saved. When we live with this understanding, we are able to love God extravagantly. And Jesus says in uh, Luke 7, 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So in humility, we're able to recognize how much we have been forgiven and we're able to love Jesus from that place in such a beautiful way. But when we let pride get in the way of, of recognizing how far Jesus has brought us, how far he has saved us, when we start to justify those sins and, and rank those sins or think that they're not so bad, that hinders us from being able to love God effectively. And this is why when we are truly set free by the gospel, the natural overflow of that is to share that truth with other people. That we can share that Jesus can also save them as well. 
And just like Paul says in verse 16, if he can save me, then he can surely save you too. If he can have grace and mercy for me, then he will extend grace and mercy for you too as well. When we become shy with our faith and we stop believing in the fact that Jesus saved us from our sins that had given us abundant life, when we, we become numb to that reality or we forget that reality of what Jesus has done for us, we become complacent in our walk with Jesus and sharing that wonderful news with other people that need to hear it. Romans 1.6 says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. When we feel ashamed of sharing our faith and living boldly for God, we need to remind ourselves that we were in need of a savior and that Jesus saved us and he set us free from sin and death and the things that we are living in. We need to remind ourselves of everything that he's done for us and we cannot downplay those things. We cannot downplay how much Jesus has saved us and redeemed us. God wants to use you and your testimony to bring other people out of bondage to sin and death and destruction and into eternal life and relationship with God. God came to save sinners. He came to save you, and he wants to use you after he saved you to bring your testimony to other people that need to be saved as well. God came to save sinners. He came to save you, and he saved you so that others can see your testimony and be saved too. Worship team, if you want to come on up, that would be great. And everybody else, if you want to stand up, we're going to respond to the Lord. So I just want everybody to um, posture their heart in a, a place be, that's just you and the Lord. Focus on the Lord, close your eyes, bow your heads, whatever you need to do. Um, just you and the Lord. If you are here and you recognize that you are in need of a savior, I encourage you to settle that with God today. Place your faith in him and believe in him and you will be saved. It's not a trick question. It's not something that he's going to say, well, not for you. If you place your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Make a commitment today that you will live for him and not for yourself any longer. If God can forgive Paul of his sins, if he can forgive me of my sins, he can forgive you as well, and he is glad to do it. He desires to do that, and he desires that you would be saved this morning. He came to save sinners. He came to save the lost. He came to save the broken. He wants to save you this morning. So if you're here and you're recognizing the fact that you are in need of saving, 
that you fall short of God's standards, then I pray that you would settle that with the Lord this morning. You can talk to him like a friend, place your hope and your trust in him, and you will be saved. And if you are here and you need a, remind, a reminder that of everything that God has done for you, remind your soul today, God didn't do a little work in your life. He brought you from a place of being an enemy of the God of the universe to being a friend of the God of the universe. From being destined from de for death and destruction and hell to being brought into eternal life and freedom in him. If you need to return to that place of love based out of a pure heart, a clear conscience and a genuine faith, please do that this morning. If there's things that you need to repent of, if there's things that you need to confess to somebody, if there's forgiveness that you need to extend or forgiveness that you need to ask for, I pray that you would settle those things this morning. If you need uh, God to strengthen your faith in him, ask the Lord to strengthen your faith, and he will. And if you're here and you're finding it hard to think that you can be used by God, then ask the Lord today to give you the love to proclaim the good news that God came to save everyone that believes in him. And Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We need to tell people about the love of Jesus, that he saved us, he redeemed us, he set us free, and he can do the same for them. So I pray that we would... Um, Mark that on our hearts as something that we need to do, that we'd be fueled by the beauty of the gospel to bring that truth to those that need to hear it today. So Scott's gonna lead us in a song of worship and I want us to respond in this moment however you want to, however you need to. Um, if you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you need prayer, I wanna invite the prayer teams up to the front and you can receive prayer from them. Um, whatever you need to do, respond to the Lord in this moment. And like Charles Spurgeon's friend, did you see just another speaker this morning or did you see Christ? I encourage you that if you have not seen Christ yet this morning, that you continue to look for him until you find him. Because he is the only one that can do anything for your soul. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can love you perfectly. He's the only one that can set you free, that can heal you. Whatever it is, it can be found in Christ Jesus this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.